This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Well, well, well. Darwin is entering the conversation. Hardly knew him. Yeah, is, <laughs> is entering the conversation again, though. Uh, we have talked about Darwin in the past because there's a lot of stuff that people don't know. We think of origin of the species, and we just uh, we stop there in school. Uh, what is this? Why are we talking about Darwin? This is ridiculous history. Thank you for coming through. I am not Darwin. You're not Darwin. My name is Ben. My name is Nolan. I immediately regret my joke because I'm a little. I'm on like West East Coast brain still. We're, yeah. we're still on the West Coast, uh, and we've been staying up quite late, even by West Coast standards. So it's been mega, mega late by East Coast standards. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had a bit of a whirlwind experience, but it's kind of been fun. I'm leaning into the punchiness, but Darwin, I hardly knew him. That doesn't even make sense. No, no so I thought I'm just gonna, you I, I, know. I thought it had an internal logic. It, it was the phonemes of it that kind of triggered my brain to do a thing that just didn't work out. But I'm owning up to it. I'm Noel. Did I say that already? Yeah. Oh, I. Well, I'm glad you did. Either way, people might have been confused. You're Noel. Like, who is this fool? Oh, it's Noel. It's fine. <laughs> uh, you're Noel. I'm Ben. We are joined in spirit, as always, with our super producer, uh, Casey Pegram. God only knows where we'd be without him. Uh, is that lot- a Beach Boys reference? Uh, a little bit. <laughs> La Bouche is a big fan of the Beach Boys, right? They're fantastic. The French love the Beach Boys. Do they? I don't know. They it probably just, do. Look, the French I, have notoriously good taste. I'm right there with you. I slept like maybe an hour before this. But we are 
also joined with our returning guest super producer, Daniel Goodman. How's it going, man? going great ready for another episode of fun oh gosh uh, we're we, the sweetest guy i know right and he's got like these great food recommendations you know did you i didn't get any food wrecks you get you gotta ask it's we like, can talk after pie. okay sounds good. <laughs> sounds good i'm ready for it um i went to a place called the the fleet-footed goose no it wasn't that it was just the running goose see i added too many words to you You've been to the running goose i have not we, what where, where's that at it's right around here it's on uh the front end of the block or no i'm um, sorry the uh i want to say it's on Kowanga. Um, it was right across from a place called Beauty and Essex, or kind of like right around there. It's just a little cafe. I'd been there before, and they have a salmon belly sandwich that's quite delightful. Hmm. But you uh, went to a bon me place that seems to be the talk of the office here. Bon, bon we uh, from Daniel's recommendation, which was, which was pretty amazing. They got this uh, Georgian flatbread, Georgia the country, right? Uh, so uh, apparently you guys are sick of it sometimes. We've had it uh, a f- quite a few times at this point, but it's a uh, it's a standard haunt, as it were. So the way we can segue this uh, is to talk about one of our earlier episodes. We did a two-part series on weird historical flexes with our pals, uh, Jack and Miles from the Daily Zeitgeist. Yep. And Jack hipped us to one of the strangest Darwin facts we'd learned up to that point, which was... Well, it was the the fact that Darwin um, in college had been a member of this like fraternity that was all about eating exotic creatures. Uh, and he took that lust for murder and flesh, mm-hmm. exotic fleshes, uh, and, and applied it to his research, where when he was exploring the Galapagos and, you know, charting all of the different species that he encountered and, you know, that, that made up the great tapestry that is the human experience and life on Earth, he'd eat at least one of each of them. Yeah. Sometimes more. I think he consumed so many... Uh, Galapagosian tortoises that he single-handedly was was a big part of the reason they went uh, they went endangered and then extinct. I don't know. I might be overstating the case there a little bit, but I'm pretty sure there's some truth to that. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, again, as we say, whenever Darwin comes up in conversation on or off the air, thanks for ruining that for us, Jack. Thanks for ruining that guy for us. I always say Darwin. I hardly knew him. <laughs> See, <laughs> I think you should lean into it. I'm just man. gonna lean into it. Man. It's this like is, this I, is me now. I'm such an easy crowd today, man, because I'm at that stage where it's like my head is stuffed with cotton. I'm I'm very addled. Everything seems surreal and hilarious and loaded with symbolism and double entendre. Well, Daniel seems to think we're funny. We're getting some some solid laughs out of him. It could just be the fact that we're literally like two men losing their minds in a fish yeah. tank, and he is the audience here. Hey, this it's is a, just my kind of humor. Right it's here. a thing you to behold. Me. Oh, good. I love oh, it. okay. He thinks it's humor. All awesome. Right, let's continue. Let's, let's continue. This. Let's continue uh, so, with this. Today's Darwin story. (laughs) Today's Darwin story, yes. Uh, There's another thing that people may generally not know about Charles Darwin. Like many famous, historically influential individuals, he is the sum of more than one person's work. We stand on the shoulder of giants. and one Just one shoulder? We stand on just the one shoulder. It's usually the left because like uh, regular sized bipeds, um, you know, like 90% of giants are right-handed. And also one giant shoulder would be the equivalent of a set of shoulders for a regular sized. Many, yeah, yeah many bi- shoulders. Bi- biped, yeah. <laughs> so so there's, there is a person 
in the evolution of Darwin, which is a terrible choice of words on my part, uh, there's there's a, a person in uh, Darwin's past who is uh, who plays a crucial and vital role in all of the work that Darwin went on to create. He's a person that many of us may not have heard of before. His name is very cool, by the way. It is John Edmundstone. I love Edmundstone. I don't know why. You know why? I know why. Why? It makes me think of the Flintstones. Because everyone's last name in the Flintstone ended with stone. Wait, everybody? No, maybe not everybody. Well, there's uh, there's Be- Betty and Barney Rubble. There we go. I got one. That's yeah, that's yeah. like a that's a, a construction rock related thing. Anyway, it just makes me think of the Flintstones. <laughs> that's why. That's great. And I I uh, I think Rubble. I think you're on to something with the the uh, rock themes. Anyway, John Edmundstone, not an inspiration for the Flintstones as far as we know, but. He was one of the sources of support and inspiration for Charles Darwin. John Edmundstone was from Guyana, South America, also the country where uh, Jim Jones and his cult relocated. Yeah, the Kool-Aid genocide. Mm, technically, it was Flavor-Aid. That's right. He didn't <laughs> even pop for the good stuff. No, no, he didn't. I guess it didn't really matter. Not at that point. No. But that's a that's a story for another day. It took a dark turn. Oh, it, this is going to take some turns. We suckered Daniel in here uh, with our previous episode that was a lot of fun, and now we're going into some disturbing stuff. Are you talking about the one about luxury? Luxury. John Edmundstone uh, was formerly enslaved, and then he was manumitted. He was a freed slave from Guyana, and he was in Edinburgh teaching university students taxidermy. He lived literally down the street from where Charles Darwin and Charles's brother Erasmus, awesome name, lived. Yeah, 37 Lothian Street right there in Edinburgh. And um, he uh, learned his trade, uh, John did, from a man by the name of Charles Waterton, um, who is another assumingly competing naturalist uh, to Darwin in the 1800s, early 1800s. Well, I guess not. Maybe they. Maybe it was a different time. He would have. He would have already attained these skills and then crossed paths with Darwin. So for, forget about my fake beef that I just made up between these <laughs> all British naturalists. Clearly, they have a Highlander a cage thing match kind of situation. On. Yeah, they're very very <laughs> intense dudes. Um, but yeah, I mean, they kind of just became pals, right? Yeah, yeah. So while Darwin is a student at Edinburgh, he approaches uh, John Edmundstone and asks him, you know, Mr. Edmundstone, will you teach me to be a taxidermist? They would uh, enter into this teacher-student relationship, and they would hang out, and they would have conversations, shoot the breeze, and John would tell Charles about the land of South America, about the continent, about the tropical rainforest, about Guyana, and historians believe that these conversations may have been the spark that fan the flames of Charles Darwin's ambitions to explore the tropics. I was going to make a forest fire uh, reference there, but I think I think we already we already got there. Okay. I was going to say that fan the flames of the forest fire in his mind. I like the uh, alliteration. Yeah. We, uh, we, we love alliteration here on Ridiculous. Fan History. the flames of the forest fire in his fancy. Nice. I don't know. Just, yeah. Of his fancy. Of his fancy. Boom. Okay, we got there. We did. So we know that regardless of how we want to phrase it, the taxidermy skills that Darwin did provably learn from Edmundstone were indispensable when he was later traveling 
famously aboard the HMS Beagle in 1831. So let's let's talk a little bit about this man who has been so woefully ignored by uh, you know by history or the, at least the history we would learn in school. He was born into slavery in British Guiana in the late 1700s. In his early years, he was on a plantation in a region in present-day Guiana that was called Demerara. That's right. And um, there were a lot of ties with Caribbean countries. So Guyana um, was kind of looked at as uh, an extension, I guess, of of the Caribbean. Um, A lot of the political and cultural and um, ties historically uh, to the Caribbean. So um, Charles Edmundstone was a Scottish politician, uh, the original Charles Edmund Stone, I guess, let's say, who owned this plantation where uh, young John lived and worked. And in the early 1800s, we'll call him the Elder Charles, was visited by a man by the name of Charles Waterton, who would go on to not only become a renowned naturalist, uh, but also the Elder Edmund Stone's son-in-law. Yeah, Yeah, and while they're interacting on this plantation, Charles Waterton takes John Edmundstone sort of as his protege, right? He becomes a mentor, and he teaches Edmundstone taxidermy. If you look at the contemporary reports, uh, Charles Waterton says, I taught him the proper way to stuff birds. And so John Edmundstone and Charles Waterton would patrol, walk through the surrounding rainforest, and they would collect bird specimens. This was really a two-person job because, you know, most birds can fly. And as far as we know, most people cannot. I don't know why I I made that such a point. It's the lack of sleep. It's probably the lack of sleep. sleep. But anyway, that statement is at least true. And so so they had to, they had to go find these birds and they wanted to find new specimens, unique specimens. And then they, once they caught them, once they captured them, killed them, they had to quickly preserve them because this is the jungle. It's very hot. It's so crazy to think of the idea of field taxidermy, right? But that's Mm -hmm. absolutely what you had to do because it was so humid and hot that the bird carcasses would start to rot and decompose very, very quickly. So what is field taxidermy? What do they actually do? Yeah, they had to soak the carcasses in this mixture um, where the primary ingredient was mercury. And then, of course, they'd, you know, uh, pull out all their guts and stuff them with some stuff. What would be some of the uh, stuff they might stuff them with, Ben? I think sawdust was popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably not other birds. Uh, the turducken is a, it's a different thing. That's an abomination, Ben. I've never had one. But yet, yeah, their primary goal here is to, you know, soak them, as you said, in that sublimate of mercury and preserve the outer shell. They don't really care about the stuffing other than what helps it appear lifelike. And during these expeditions, Edmund Stone gains a lot of knowledge about the biodiversity of South America and Guyana in particular. But there's an important point we have to hit here. You can look back on stories like this and say, oh, these people were, despite uh, the the social hierarchies foisted upon them, actual friends. But it's tough to it's it's tough to ascribe that to them because we have to remember this man was enslaved. He did not have the agency to consent or not consent to these expeditions. It wasn't until 
the Slave Trade Act of 1807 that things began to change for John Edmonston. The Slave Trade Act of 1807, this law from the British Empire that says the purchase or ownership of slaves is illegal within all the lands of the British Empire. Like a lot of laws concerning manumission, the law on paper uh, doesn't always 100% reflect the law uh, as it should be practiced or as it is practiced. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Sometimes to get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. We're nothing if not trailblazers here at Ridiculous History. And you know also is a huge uh, iconoclastic challenger of the status quo, Ben? Who is that, Noel? Well, I think you know. Hmm. It's Harry's. Yes, it's Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by all kinds of like slipshod, questionable products in the shaving industry. And they said, hey, you got to be the change. I was excited to try out the Winston set. It's an all-in-one package. You get some shaving cream. You get that great razor we're talking about. They also have deodorant. Yeah, I was about to say. Very helpful. I do really enjoy uh, their line of self-care products. Um, Richly lathering, skin-softening body washes and scents like redwood, wild lens, and stone. You want to know what a stone smells like? I've often wondered. Only you know you can. <laughs> so don't settle for the status quo, folks. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash history. Once again, that's harrys.com slash history for a $3 trial set. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's this. There's always a catch. So when we heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, what's the catch? So we dug in, and after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't a catch. Can you believe that? Mint Mobile's got a secret sauce, babies, and it is that they sell wireless service online, and by doing so, cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet, sweet, delicious savings directly onto you. 
to get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. So at 1807, Edmonston travels to Glasgow with the Scottish politician who owns the plantation, his his namesake, Edmonston the Elder. And while he is in Scotland, he gains his freedom. You'll hear a couple conflicting accounts. Some, Some folks say that it was 1817. When he gains his freedom, so that he, so he was still enslaved for ten years in Scotland, um, it's interesting. But I, either way, by 1817, at the very least, he is a free man finally, and he says, "I'm moving from Glasgow to Edinburgh," and that's you know, and then he begins to live at the address you mentioned earlier, 37 Lothian Street, and it's just right down the street from University of Edinburgh. That's right, and that's where he um, uh, made the acquaintance of a, a pint-sized 16-year-old, Darwin, who had come to study at Edinburgh uh, to study medicine. Um, like, it was a generational thing in his family. His father had been a doctor and his grandfather, and he lived uh, with his brother, as you said, the delightfully named Erasmus, on Lothian Street, and that was just a couple of doors down from John's house. So um, it was kind of just serendipitous that these two guys kind Kind of became pals. Yeah, and he did hire him as a tutor, essentially, a taxidermy tutor. Because Darwin knew pretty quickly that that a doctor he was not. He was more interested in exploring and adventures. And again, he'd already been kind of dreaming of some of those places that uh, John would kind of really hip him to in South America and really make those dreams come alive in his mind. Yes, exactly. Just so. And in Darwin's defense, we have to realize that, you know, even today, a lot of college students we don't really know 100% what we want to do. It's a, it's a very common thing. And then furthermore, during surgery in this time, there was no anesthesia. Mm-mm. This reminds me of the story of Robert Liston. Uh, we were a little clickbaity with the title, but it is true that he did perform a surgery with a 300% fatality I was going to say 200%. I obviously don't understand how math works because that still is a, is a head scratcher to me. Because he, he hit the guy on the, he hit the surgical assistant or a bystander. He nicked an artery and yeah, it bled yeah. out, right? Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> He swung wide on that one. He swung wide because you had to work fast. There was no anesthesia. Anyway, Darwin says, this is not the life for me. And so he and uh, John Edmundstone make an agreement where Darwin will pay John Edmundstone one guinea per lesson and that after 40 daily hour-long sessions, his training in taxidermy will be considered complete. Uh, if we want to inflation calculate this to to get a sense of the math, we gonna do it. Yeah, yeah. ding. Perfect. One guinea, uh, or is replaced by the pound in eighteen sixteen. But anyway, in eighteen twenty five, one guinea was about a hundred and sixty U.S. dollars. Nice. Today. Not too shabby. Right. It's. It, I mean, it feels like he is paying for a college course at that point. For sure. Know? For sure. And uh, that was when, he, again, he started talking about um, the lush tropical regions and all of the uh, creatures and the vegetation that populated it there in South America. Where was it again? Demerara? 
Yeah, yeah, the plantation. That's right. Um, and it really got Darwin thinking about a career in naturalism. Right. And at this time, Guiana is making international headlines too, not just headlines in Darwin's mind. You see, at the time, Guiana has uh, become the site of a slave rebellion, and this rebellion was ultimately unsuccessful and had been crushed a few months earlier. Compounding this, Charles Waterton had published a book about his expeditions to Guiana named, in a burst of creativity, Wanderings in South America. It's hugely popular. Everybody loves it. And Edmund Stone's stories, along with Waterton's book, along with the international headlines about Guiana, very plausibly inspired Darwin to explore, to discover more things. And during this winter, when they are, when he's receiving his taxidermy training, he begins to think of his teacher, of John Edmundstone, more and more as not just a teacher, but a, but a friend, you know, a, a mentor. A real mentor, exactly. And we have a letter that Darwin wrote to his sister about the course that Edmundstone taught him. And Originally, he said, it has the recommendation of cheapness, if nothing else, as he only charges one guinea for an hour every day for two months. And then they eventually, as they become closer, later Darwin writes about John Edmund Stone in his memoir. Memoir? Memoir. Memoir. And then and in, this, in this writing, Darwin says that Edmund Stone is, quote, a very pleasant and intelligent man. I spent many hours in conversation at his side. Of course, you know, we, we know that Darwin is still trying to resist his father saying, like, you will be a doctor. I was a doctor. We're a family of doctors. And that is why in 1831, at the age of 22, inspired by and educated by John Edmundstone, Darwin gets a place on the HMS Beagle as they voyage to chart the South American coastline. And he gets, uh, he secures this position, not as a doctor, not as a surgeon, but as a naturalist. Yeah, just, just as he, he, he had wished. Um, and all of those lessons in taxidermy were huge. His ability to do that um, in the field so quickly and efficiently were a massive help on this uh, voyage um, and in helping him uh, formulate his theory of evolution um, and the idea of natural selection. Um, and he, when he was eating tortoises on the Galapagos Island, there's a really cool story here from history.co.uk. Um, let's call it the finch story, right? He saw that there were differences between these birds, these finches on the island, and uh, the big big one had to do with the shape of their beak. Um, if I may, Ben, uh, I would like to read some intensely triggering descriptions of birds. I was going to ask you, I'll go ahead and ask on air, are you sure you're okay? It's I just want to check in it's good with for me. you, all right? It's, it's going to help me. All right, well, you're okay. in a safe spot, so let me know if anything goes sideways. I'm going to get through it. We can stop. <clears throat> oh, sorry, Daniel. Noel, okay, you know about the bird thing? I know about, about the bird, the bird thing. Everybody yeah. knows about the bird okay. thing. You probably talked about it in Zeitgeist. I just, I, you know, it's just, it, it is, it's obvious just from, from the look on my face when you see a pigeon walk by. And yeah. I, my eyes light up in horror. Um, <laughs> right. uh, so here we go. Here, I'm going I'm to make this happen. <clears throat> Some of the finches had broad, deep beaks, <sighs> some elongated, and others small and stout. Ben, can you continue? I can't go on. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, I thought you did a good job. Thanks, man. Uh, so 
Darwin notices, as we said, specifically that some of the finches have one kind of beak and some have other kinds. Some finches have broad, deep beaks, some have really long beaks, and some have very small, uh, very tough, stout beaks. And he says, you know what I think's happening here? Uh, you can differentiate the finches by their beaks and also by the islands upon which these finches reside. And each island has different sort of stuff for finches to eat. And so I believe that over time, uh, advantageous traits that lead to certain types of beaks become, uh, become more common in the breeding population. So if we have a finch population on an island with lots of seeds, the individual finches that have broad beaks that can help them crack open the hard coating of seeds will have a better chance of surviving and reproducing, and then they become more common, and ultimately they become the only kind of finch on that island. That's right. It's like we were talking about with Katie Golden on uh, Creature Feature. Mm -hmm. When we were talking, I had asked the very stupid question of, you know, why— what was the advantage of the woodpecker uh, being able to, you know, it's, it's such a damaging adaptation to yeah. the creature to like basically essentially gives it brain damage over time. Concussions, but yeah. what's the what's the edge? And the edge is obviously the other creatures can't get those bugs mm -hmm. that are in that tree way up there that he has to dig or, you know, the, the, the bird has to dig uh, so deep for and, you know, to such personal um, harm. Ah, and... There is another influence that Edmund Stone had on Darwin. And this, this is not completely proven, but it's, it, it's something that a lot of historians speculate about. They believe that it may have been Darwin's personal relationship with John Edmund Stone, along with the abolitionist beliefs of his grandfathers, of course, that contributed to his famous loathing and hatred of slavery. And that comes to us via Clifford B. Frith in uh, his book, Charles Darwin's Life with Birds, His Complete Ornithology, which I promise you will never have to read. Thank you, Ben. Thank you for shielding me from the horrible, beady-eyed, weird, taloned, gangly, twitchy creatures. All right. At this point, you're just doing it to yourself. You're probably right. <laughs> so, I'm a glutton for punishment. So, uh, so we know that this personal relationship uh, and his, his firsthand experience seeing the just gross atrocities of slavery had made him very much an abolitionist. And then they will also argue that his anti-slavery beliefs may have may have had a relationship to the formation of his theory of natural selection because it traces all things that are ostensibly different, quote unquote, races or whatever to a common ancestor. And that challenges the popular notion at that time that a certain type of person could be somehow considered inferior or superior. Absolutely. And he really did see it firsthand with the bloody aftermath of some of the slave rebellions in South America. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. 
This is important stuff. Your team can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your teen enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. There are some stories in Jewish history that are so bizarre, so fascinating, so completely wild that they feel like they're straight out of a movie, but they're all true stories. Join hosts Yael Steiner and Jonathan Schwab on Jewish History Nerds for a new season of intrigue, mystic realms, and bloody battles. In season three of these podcasts, you'll meet an ancient Arabian king who converted to Judaism in a struggle for power, a mysterious author who created amulets and performed Kabbalistic exorcisms, and a can't-miss story of a female Hasidic Rebbe whose story unfolds like a real-life Yentl to challenge societal norms. Jewish history nerds will keep you on the edge of your seat as you learn all about some of the craziest and most amazing yet largely unknown stories that fill Jewish history books. Find out what happened, how it happened, and why each story still matters today. Don't miss Jewish History Nerds Season 3, hosted by Yael Steiner and Jonathan Schwab. Find Jewish History Nerds wherever you listen to podcasts. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. And now, you know, we, we, we did it again. We did the thing that a lot of historians have done, which is we started dwelling on Charles Darwin instead of John Edmundstone. So let's give John Edmundstone his due. What, what happened to him? Do we know what happened after, after the taxidermy lessons were wrapped, after Darwin heads off? Well, no, and that's sort of the, the impetus for the story is that he was sort of uh, a, an uncredited uh, influence on Darwin. And the fact that we know anything about him and kind of help share a story, um, I think, is pretty cool. What we do know about him uh, comes directly from a very short little 
blurb in Darwin's own autobiography. That's right. It's the it's the moment where he recalls the conversations they had. Right. right. And then this sets people off on a path to learn more about John Edmund Stone. Uh, we know that after his interaction teaching Charles Darwin, he stays in Edinburgh. He, he moves in the 1830s to uh, area South St. David Street. And if you look at, there were some real crackerjack researchers here. If you look at the Scottish Industrial and Natural History Museum register, which is later the Royal Scottish Museum, you see that they acquired a boa constrictor skin, a 15-foot boa constrictor from a Mr. Edmundstone. And that seems likely to be John Edmundstone. And then there are a couple of other records relating to him uh, showing that the museum has purchased different specimens from him. But eventually... John Edmundstone began to receive his due. In 2009, a small plaque was mounted on Lothian Street, really close to Edmundstone's original home in Edinburgh. It commemorates his years of mentorship, his years as an educator. And, you know, it's, it's a small gesture. It's better than nothing, but it's at least finally, as the University of Texas says, acknowledging Edmund Stone's influence as historians continue to make efforts to learn more about his life. And here for now, our story draws to a close, or maybe let's let's call it a pause, because you know, history is active. It's a conversation. People are still learning more stuff about John Edmund Stone. And you know, in the coming years, we might learn even more. Uh, and I, I have to ask, I'll, I'll be completely upfront and 100% honest here. I had not heard of John Edmund Stone. Had you guys? Had you, Daniel? Never. No, I hadn't either. And, and, and unfortunately, um, as recently as 1978, some of the academic writing about Edmund Stone and his work um, used some pretty racist language. Daniela Lee, who's a professor of biology at the University of Missouri, once wrote a column from Scientific America where she was quoted as saying, the next time I teach evolutionary biology, I am definitely including Edmund Stone in my lectures. I hope others do as well. Well said. And I think it's a sentiment we can all get behind. This concludes today's episode, but not our show. We want to hear from you. Who are some other figures that you think mainstream historical discourse has neglected? Uh, and who do you think has been uh, maybe overblown or presented with so, some sort of sanitized image? I had just, I had just uh, listened to as we were coming in, I was listening to our Columbus episode. Ben, I got a question. Let's, let's do it real quick. In the spirit of the Daily Zeitgeist and being here in the LA studios, let's do an overrated, uh, historical overrated underrated. I feel like that's every episode. Yeah, uh, I yeah. guess you're kind of right. Uh, okay, so um, historically underrated this is this is a hot take but i think the what we call the black plague or the black death has uh the way it's taught to people it's historically underrated the statistics the estimates about how many people died um are terrifying i think people are giving those their full due uh but the there are so many long-term uh effects and consequences ramifications of that massive outbreak the, those three waves of outbreaks uh, that we didn't know we did not fully understand until uh recently like the reason that some people have genetic inborn 
resistance to HIV. It's because of the Black Plague. That's just one example. That was a very thoughtful uh, and thoroughly researched answer. Uh, I'm going to do a hot take, uh, overrated. Yeah. George Washington, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Mic drop. Who needs him? Oh, boy. All right. Well, let us know what you think, folks. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram. Just type ridiculous history into your uh, internet connection of choice or your internet connection device of choice. I don't know. Maybe meditate. Maybe it'll just come to you. Uh, But if you want to take a shortcut, you can uh, go to one of our favorite places online, our community page, Ridiculous Historians on Facebook, where you can hang out with our favorite part of the show, you and your fellow listeners. Yeah, have a chat with Jonathan Strickland, the quizster. He's there like most of the time. He's probably there right now, lurking. Um, You can also find us individually on social media. You can find me on Instagram at HowNowNoelBrown. You can find me on Instagram, getting kicked into and out of various countries, communities, and organizations. At Ben Bolin, in a burst of creativity, you can also find me on Twitter. I am at Ben Bolin, HSW. Thanks, as always, to our uh, our third musketeer, super producer Casey Pegram. Again, big thanks to our guest, super producer Daniel Goodman. And I like that sound effect from the last episode. Just dreaming of Californication. Do you think we'll get sued? For for saying the words Californication? I don't know, man. I'm not it is a, a portmanteau. They probably can copyright that. Can you get sued for saying words? Um, not yet. What even are words anymore? But not seriously, yet. Daniel, thank you so much for having us and for being such an amazing host and super producer. It is truly my pleasure. This guy. I can't even handle it. So we have other people to thank. We do. Thank you to Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Of course, super producer Casey Pegram here in spirit. Christopher Hasiotis, also here in spirit. Jonathan Strickland um, here as some sort of uh, demonic presence. Um, but here none of the but here nonetheless. And of course, thanks to our research associate, uh, Gabe Luzier. Thank you to John Edmondstone. Uh, and, you know, despite his strange uh, gustatory culinary uh, inclinations, thanks to Charles Darwin. Yeah, he seemed like he was okay. Unless you're a, you know, unless you're an animal. A turducken. Unless you're literally any animal he'd ever discovered. Gross. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This episode is brought to you by Discover. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service, as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all?
We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com.